My older brother Paul once told me a story that changed my life forever. It was a really short story, just a couple of sentences long, but I can honestly tell you that it dramatically changed my whole life. I'm going to tell you what that story was. I remember it word for word. But first, a little bit of background. As I'm sure you know by now, I grew up in a little town called Holland, Michigan. And I belonged to a wonderful Christ-centered household. I went to the K-12 through Christian school. And we were very active in our Bible-preaching church. It was, in many ways, a wonderful upbringing. But there was an aspect of that Christian community. There was a flavor of the spirituality that wasn't so wonderful. It rubbed off on me a little bit, too. It's what you might call legalism. Maybe you've heard the phrase, holier than thou. Or the Pharisees that we encounter, we see Jesus encountering in Scripture. That was me. I had that holier-than-thou thing going on. I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Yes, I was raised in the faith and with the gospel and with the teachings of Scripture. I knew who my Savior was, but I was also kind of a jerk. I was a Pharisee. I'm embarrassed to admit it now, but this is true. And unfortunately, I carried that attitude into my relationship with my bride. Nancy, I was still a Pharisee. I was still a holier-than-thou type person when I met her. Can you imagine dating a Pharisee? (laughs) Ask Nancy. She'll cite chapter and verse all about it. Here's the thing, though. I had no idea that I was behaving that way. I could see the sliver in your eye, but I couldn't see the plank in my own. Until one day when my brother pulled me aside and told me a very short but powerful story. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was dating Nancy, and we were at the family cottage, and my brother pulled me aside. We're standing in the driveway of the family cottage, and he said to me, Brother, when I first met Nancy, she was like a blooming flower, beautiful and radiant. And now when I look at her, She's like a wilting flower. And then he looked me right in the eyes and he said, she's wilting because of your judgment of her. And I could see it clearly in that moment. I saw the picture he was painting. I saw the beautiful flower that Nancy was and the wilting flower. And for the first time in my life, I saw the plank in my own eye. I saw the ugliness of my sin, my self-righteousness, my pharisaical thinking, my holier-than-thou attitude. I saw my sin. It was right there before me. Where it was a blind spot before, I could now see it clearly because of that simple little story that my brother told me. It changed me. I was blind, but then I could see You know, I've been a pastor for a number of years now, and I've realized over the years that I'm not alone. That, in fact, most people, most of the time, are blind to their own sin. We can easily see the sliver in other people's eyes and miss the plank in our own. We can see clearly when it's the sin of those around us. But when it's our own sin, we're often blind to it. 
This was the reality that King David was living in. In the chapter that precedes the one Danielle just read for us, there's an amazing story unfolding. Some of you know it. You know the biblical narrative. But for those of you who don't, let me recap what was going on in King David's life. King David was called a man after God's own heart. He was a righteous king. He was popular among the people. He was anointed by God, chosen, set apart. And he had started experiencing some some successes in his life. And he was getting a little bit arrogant, a little bit confident, a little bit self-righteous. And the scripture shows us that it says it was springtime when kings go off to war, but David stayed in his palace and he sent his general Joab off to battle along with the troops. And David remained in his palace, literally luxuriating on his couch. One day, he got up from his couch, and he was walking past his window, and he saw something interesting out the window. (laughs) He saw beautiful Bathsheba. He saw how beautiful she was because she was bathing, and he wanted her, so he took her, and he slept with her. She reported back to him, "Uh uh-oh, I'm pregnant. So then David had a problem on his hands, so he summoned Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He summoned Uriah back from battle, and he said, Hey, Uriah, don't you want to take a break? Don't you want to go home, you know, sleep in your own bed? This is King David. This is what he did. And Uriah, the man of total loyalty and integrity, said, How can I sleep in my own bed when my comrades are out there in battle sleeping in tents? So Uriah slept at the foot of the doorway of David's palace. David realized now he would have to really do something about this problem that he has. So he asks Uriah, imagine this, David pens a letter to send to the general, Joab, and he asks Uriah to deliver it to him. And in the letter, it says to the general, please put Uriah at the front of battle and make sure that he dies. Uriah, man of loyalty and integrity that he is, takes the letter and dutifully hands it to Joab, the general, and Joab does it. And he sends word back to David saying, Uriah died in battle. Now in 2 Samuel 11, verse 25, we pick up the story and here's what David says. David said to the messenger, thus shall you communicate back to Joab, the general. This is verse 25 of chapter 11. David says, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now the other. Be encouraged, he says. Do you see David's blindness to his own sin? He says, The sword devours now one, now the other. Things happen in battle. Oh, Uriah died? Bummer. So then David, a perfect gentleman, he waits for Bathsheba's grieving period to conclude, and then he takes her as his wife. Can you picture David in this moment of his life? Completely blind to his own sin, waltzing around his palace like nothing's wrong. He gets word that Uriah has died, and he says, the sword devours one now and another the next day. Things happen in battle. Now, there's a man in David's life who sees it all unfold. His name is Nathan. And God sends Nathan to talk to David. Chapter 12, verse 1. Danielle read it for us. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. How would you like to get that assignment? You're telling me to go talk to King David, Lord, now? 
Now, here's the thing. Nathan had some options. Nathan saw the whole thing unfold. David's blind to his own sinfulness, like many of us can be. And Nathan has to go talk to him about it. Now, here's what Nathan could have done. Nathan could have waited for a time when he was passing David in the hallway of the palace and said under his breath, you monster. (laughs) Nathan could have marched into David's room and said, I know what you did. You murdered a man and you committed adultery. Let's just imagine for a minute how David would have responded if Nathan had gone to him in that way. I know what you did. If he just presented the facts like a lawyer. You know what? We actually know exactly what David would have done. David would have said, murdered a man. I didn't murder a man. The sword devours now one and now another. Things happen in battle. I didn't murder anybody. And adultery? Nathan, did you see how she put herself out there like that? Out my window? Clearly, she was trying to get noticed, committing adultery. Come on. Plus, I, wait, I was a gentleman. I waited the grieving period before I took her as my wife. You see, David had what many of us have. He had an inner lawyer working for him. <laughs> One of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp, he says, some of us need to fire our inner lawyer. <laughs> Do you have an inner lawyer? Eric's got an inner law firm working round the clock. <laughs> Eric, if you're going to sit in the front as an elder, you're going to get picked on. All of us have an inner, inner lawyer. There you go. All of us have an inner lawyer working for us round the clock, deflecting, defending. So Nathan gets this word from God saying, go talk to him. But Nathan is a smart prophet. He knows that if he just presents the facts, David's inner lawyer will defend and deflect. So Nathan finds a more powerful tool, something more powerful than even presenting the facts. Nathan has in his repertoire a simple story, kind of like the one my brother told me years ago, actually quite similar, just painting a picture. So Nathan walks into David's presence and he says, David, i got to tell you about something. There's a poor man. He doesn't have much, he and his family. They've, they do have this one little lamb, though, this precious little innocent lamb. It's so precious to them. It's like a daughter to him. It's like a member of the family. They feed it. Can you picture it, David? It's like a pet. They don't have much, but they have this lamb. And there's someone else in the same village who's very wealthy. He has so many sheep, he can't even count them. Well, he had a visitor one day, and as you know, David, it's customary. If a visitor comes from out of town, you have to slaughter one of your sheep and and feed it to them as a feast. Well, the rich man, he saw the visitor coming, and he knew he needed to slaughter a lamb, and he looked at all of his hundreds of sheep, and he said, I want that one. David, you know what he did? He he sent some of his guys to go into the, the home of the poor family with their precious little lamb, and they They yanked the sheep right out of the children's arms. And then you know what they did, David? They slaughtered that little lamb right in front of the family. And they cooked it up and ate it like nothing was wrong. Can you believe that, David? And David, seeing very clearly, stands up and he says, The man who did this has to pay. Now Nathan knows he's got him. And Nathan reveals the truth and he says, you. You are the man who did that, David. You took something that wasn't yours, and you slaughtered 
an innocent person. You are the man who did this. You see, Nathan knew that a good story reveals who we really are. A good story reveals who we really are when we're blind to our own sin, we're blind to our own selves. The power of a parable, the power of a story can reveal who we really are. David's inner lawyer had no defense. We know from the rest of the story that David felt conviction. He knew what he had done. His sin was right there before him. He could see it plainly. If you read the rest of the chapter, you see that. There's something else in the Bible that's really, really cool. I want you to see this. Go ahead and pull the Bible out from the pew in front of you or if it's on your lap. Turn to Psalm 51. The Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. One of my favorite Psalms in the whole canon. Psalm 51. This was written by David. Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. I want to show you something else that's really cool. Look right above that line. After the big black 51, you see the letters that are in all capitals? Look what it says. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. When? When did he write these words? When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Picture this now. Nathan has just come to David. He's told him a simple story about a lamb who was innocently slaughtered and the family who lost the lamb. I can just picture David then upon hearing the story saying, I need my quill and my ink. I got to go pray. And I picture David running off into his study, pulling open a blank scroll, taking his quill and his ink and writing these words. Listen to these words. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Go home and read the rest of this psalm. It's amazing. I pray this psalm several times a year. My practice is that whenever I feel convicted by sin, whenever I realize something I had been doing that I hadn't seen before, I come sit in one of these pews or I go to the office in my home and I read these words as if they are my own. Do you see the contrast in David's attitude? He's saying, have mercy on me. I see my sin now. It's right there before me. I didn't see it before, but Nathan came in and he told me this little story. Now I see it. Picture this now. One moment, David is in his palace and he's super cavalier about his sin. The sword devours now one and now another. Things happen in battle. Look at his arrogance. Look at his blindness in the palace. And now look at him. He's saying, have mercy on me. I know my sin. It's right there before me. So what changed in David's life? Did he have a lawyer come in and accuse him and have him defend himself? No. He simply had his friend Nathan come in and tell him a story. Do you see the power of story? Story can reveal who we really are. Over the next few weeks, we have a sermon series here at Stanwich. It's called The Parables of Jesus. Oftentimes, we think of parables as this kind of stories we want to teach children, you know? Let's teach the children 
about the parable of the sower, the parable of the lost coin. But I hope you'll come back these next few weeks and hear these parables as powerfully as David heard his parable from Nathan. Because a good story, a good parable can reveal who we really are. Look for yourself in the parables. Ask the Holy Spirit to fire your inner lawyer and to come before these parables saying, who am I, Lord? I need you to reveal who I am. I'm blind to my own sin and I need you to show me. Please show me. Convict me of my own sinfulness in these parables. Now, maybe some of you will stay away the next couple of weeks because who really wants that? <laughs> who really wants the blind spot removed? But there's more to the story. It's not just that God sends prophets into our lives, that God sends friends, or in my case, my older brother, to expose us, to reveal who we really are. You see, God looked through history. He saw the whole world, and he sent his prophets. He sent Nathan. He sent Isaiah. He sent Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Micah, Nahum, Obadiah, lots of prophets telling lots of stories, and the people of God would say, ah, yes, I see my sin now, and they would repent. But God made the decision not to send one more prophet to tell one more story. But God sent himself into the story. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. This is John's way of trying to wrap his mind around the amazing miracle of the incarnation when he says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He's trying to say the author became a figure in the story. The creator became part of the creation. I love verse 10 of John chapter 1 where he says he was in the world, but the world was made through him. He was in the world, but the world was made through him. Can you imagine an author somehow squeezing herself small enough to fit in the black ink of the page and become one of the characters in her own story? It's unimaginable. But this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus was not just another prophet to tell us another story so that we could get revealed who we really are because God knew that a good story can reveal who we really are, but the greatest story ever told reveals who God really is. And who is God? God is the one David cried out to saying, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, your abundant mercy. God would show in sending Jesus that he would become part of the story that he was writing, part of the creation that he created so that he could come and teach us, yes, and heal and feed, but also to die. To become that precious, innocent little lamb unjustly slaughtered so that all of us could see it and say, who did that? Whoever did that deserves to die. And the rest of the story reveals to us, it's you, it's me. We killed the innocent little lamb. We are the man. We are the woman. We've done this. Our sin, it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. He died in our place so that we could receive the mercy and the forgiveness that David was crying out for. He would prove in sending himself into the story and becoming one of us, in dying in our place, 
that we can receive the forgiveness he is offering, the eternal life. We no longer need to be separated from him because of our blindness to sin. The scripture not only exposes the sin, it reveals the Savior. So please do come back these next few weeks and hear these parables of Jesus. The, wouldn't you want to hear the stories told by the one who wrote the story and then became a figure in it and became the saving figure in it? I hope our ears are opened over the next three Sundays to hear the parables of Jesus, to hear them afresh, to hear them anew. Because most of us, most of the time, are blind to our own sin. But a good story can reveal who we really are. And the greatest story ever told reveals who God really is. Amen.